The following is presented by Lanier Technical College, Concept One Pulley Systems, and Year One Classic Muscle Car Restoration Parts. Hit it! Hang on, you're now part of the fastest podcast on the planet, Bud's Garage Overdrive. Produced in the studios of Jacobs Media, located in beautiful downtown Gainesville, Georgia. On today's show, road testing the new E-Ray Corvette, fake EV plugs, and part one of our visit with America's crew chief, Larry McReynolds. All that and a whole bunch more informative automotive buffoonery with Bud and guest host NASCAR historian Cody Dinsmore right now. Let's kick it into overdrive. Welcome in, folks. This is Bud Hughes, resident car nut, and Cody Dinsmore, guest co-host today. Cody, how you doing, man? I'm doing good, Bud. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, man, we got beautiful weather going on. Colorful leaves. <laughs> A friend of mine Facebooked me and said, uh, unfortunately, he says, fall is here. Unfortunately, if you live in the mountains, so are the leaf lookers. Did you drive around last weekend? Uh, I did. I was one of the leaf workers uh-huh. in my own hometown. And uh, <laughs> I tell you what, I think half of North Atlanta was in Dawsonville and Dahlonega this oh, last yeah. weekend. Yeah. Bill, do you know what I didn't mention right at the beginning of the show? Uh, you didn't mention where Tim is. Uh, Tim, Tim's got tractor back still, I think. Oh. He's, he's, he's backing him, still aren't getting along. He's managing it. And that's why I had Cody come in. And he is the master of mowing. He is the master of mowing. He probably needs to get him like a custom fit seed or something like that. Well, I think that either that or just get more goats. Yeah, he's, he's talked about that too. A couple hundred goats ought to take care of it pretty well. He likes to take them for rides. Yeah. So that would work out good. You need a bigger truck. No, we just wish he uh, wish him well. Hope he gets uh, gets back in the saddle, so to speak, uh, shortly. But uh, that back stuff's no fun. No. No, because people don't, you know, you look normal. Well, Tim, I'm not sure Tim looks normal, but I'm just saying that. He looks good for radio. Yeah, yeah, he's perfect for radio. But, you know, you're you're walking around, you you ache, and you're you're aggravated, and you're taking, you know, ibuprofen, or you're getting shots or whatever, and it just doesn't go away. Yeah, take it from two people to know. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) You know what we might do? We might want to get him one of those things. Have you ever used the the thing that stretches your neck out? It's like a... Uh, I, I, when I, when I messed up my neck, I had a, a water bottle that, with a pulley that you'd hang on the door, and it would put weight on your. It had a, a thing that went under your chin, and it would, you know, stretch your neck out. Kind of like the Adams Family Rec Room. Yeah, yeah, something like that. I, I thought I'd get taller from it, but it, it never did work. No. <laughs> but you know, we could put one of those on the roll bar in his tractor. Yeah, yeah, it's like a noose type. Why don't you just <laughs> set something up on your lift in the garage and just lower the lift yeah, a little bit? And... Yeah, yeah, we could do that. Yeah, you know, stretch them out. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that. I got an inversion table. I'll, I'll rent that to him. There you go. There we go. All right. <laughs> Cody, have you had enough? <laughs> you know, I'm, it just I'm, gets crazier and crazier. That's all I can say. I just didn't know that I could get tractor back. You you absolutely can. That That's that's scary. <laughs> well, you know what it is time for, Bill and Cody? It's time for some pre-winter car checks, all right? Cooler weather affects your TPMS. Do you know what TPMS is? I'm almost afraid to ask you, Bill, but go ahead. You're getting personal about my morning routine. No, 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 no. Oh. <laughs> no, that's tire pressure monitor sensors. Oh, that TPMS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Fill your tires with nitrogen, nitrogen, not nitrogen, nitrogen. And you know, the, you know the, the benefits of having nitrogen, don't you, Cody? Well, yeah, but, you know, you actually have to take out the summer air and put in the winter air. Something like that. Okay. <laughs> Well, the, the nitrogen stays stable, and it won't drive you crazy when the weather gets cold because your t- 
tire monitors say your tires are low. And don't put helium in them because then your car will just float right away. Yeah, be like that Flubber movie. Yeah. No, you, you probably. How many versions of Flubber was there? I believe there were only two, but there was a sequel to the original Flubber, which was Son of Flubber. But Son of as Flubber. far as remakes, there was only one remake to my to my recollection. If you hang around here too long, and you've got a trivia question, this is the man. I will turn your mind to Flubber. To Flubber. <laughs> and why is that, Bill? Why are you so <laughs> adept at at trivia? Well, my full time job, uh, Bud, is I am the uh, Game coordinator for DJ Trivia. We're a nationwide trivia company that uh, generates games weekly in your listening area. So just type in a zip code at our website, djtrivia.com, and find a free family-friendly game for you. All right. Let's get back now to car checks, all right? Areas to lubricate before we start having colder weather. Larry is on your car to lubricate. Bill's giving me that look here. Weather, weather, uh, Weather strip and window tracks. What I meant was window tracks, all right? Not the felt. You don't want to get silicone on them. <laughs> but you spray it down into the window tracks, and then you wipe it off your, your, you know, the edges of your window. Um, do it with the window down, I would say. Let stuff run down the tracks. You agree with that? Oh, there's nothing worse than uh, putting your window down when it's 30 degrees for something. Yeah. And it doesn't go back up. <laughs> or it te- tears the trim off on the <laughs> way down, especially electric windows. Mm. You know, that if something goes wonky with your crank-down windows, you can realize it but boy once you push that button you know it's uh it's committed it's committed uh door and hatch seals you use silicone spray on that that's the rubber around your, your door and it goes up your a pillar of your car i use a stuff called uh you, you seen this formula 303 i have i've never used it okay it comes remember bill when when we used to polish our shoes with the little squeeze bottles that had a foam applicator on the end of them uh a white shoe polish used to come in them I don't wear shoes I have to polish. <laughs> what do you polish your feet? <laughs> you just don't wear shoes. No, I, anyway, I wear it's, the it's shoes like I wear. Nurse, I, my sister was a nurse, and she used yeah. to get this white shoe polish. We used to write the numbers on our race car at the drag strip with it, and it's the same type of applicator. It's got a little square foam thing on the end with a slot in it, and it comes out. It doesn't get all over the place like spray. Okay. Door locks. Dry Teflon lubricant. Spray it right into where the, the key goes. All right? Um... Door and hood hinges use white lithium on them. And this is something I hadn't thought about. Fuel tank door hinges. You know where you, where, not fuel tank, fuel filler door hinges. They got little bitty springs on them. And, you know, this, this may sound off the wall living here in the south, but if you live where they use salt and stuff like that, it eats this stuff up. And just spray a little WD-40 on them and then put some white lithium on them and, and away you go. Mm-hmm. Cody. I got my December Motor Trend magazine. This is why I never know what day it is, what year it is, what, you know, where I am. I'm not, I'm not quite Joe Biden yet, but, you know, this, is, this is, gets me so confused. I got my December issue of Road and Track or Motor Trend. I can't remember which one now. But they did a, a, a road test of the 2024 Corvette E-Ray. Do you know what the E-Ray is? Very little. Okay. But, uh, take I know a, it's an yeah. EV. Take, take a regular Corvette. Okay, not the Z06, right. Z06 supercharged. Take a regular Corvette and where the front wheels are, put an electric motor in there that makes 160 horsepower. Wow. And then you put the batteries in the console, you know, where you would normally have your shifter and stuff. Yeah. But they're not really batteries, they're supercapacitors. So what happens is there is no physical connection between the electric motors and the gasoline engine. Really? Okay. The electric motors are on their own with the supercapacitors, 
and the gasoline engine is what you drive on most of the time. Now it has a, a button that you push, and when you push that button, the motors up front are charging the capacitors. And as they charge the capacitors, and you accelerate uh, with, with the proper settings on the car, the front motor will kick in and it gives you more horsepower and more torque than a Z06. Wow. But it only gives it to you for a short burst. I'm sure they learned this stuff in IMSA. Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So you've got like four minutes of battery on this car. So we're not the four minutes, four miles, whatever. But if you're on the track, like a Petit Le Mans, or you're on the track at Road Atlanta, let's put it that way, you're on the track and you want to you, you want to go hard on the car going into the straights, it'll be charging the supercapacitors right. as you're going down the straight. Then when you go into the corner and you come out of the corner and you nail the throttle, the electric motor comes in and helps pull you out of the corner. So it sounds like electric nitrous. Kind of like that. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that. Electric yeah. nitrous. Yeah. Okay, we'll think of it that way. But it's a good combination. They cost about... 106 to 110, which is a little less than the Z06, but it's got the Z06 body, the good brakes on it, and uh, it's kind of a gentleman's uh, race car. You can drive it normal most of the time, and you know you don't have to deal with 670 horsepower all the time. Well, it, it's interesting because uh, you know you can still have fun with a car like this and still have EV technology. It's just not fully electric. No, that's right. It's not plug-in, and it's you know it's, it's not a as people are going to call it a hybrid. It's not really a hybrid because there's no connection between the gas right. and the electric. But uh, anyway, that's uh, I thought it was a very interesting thing. Well, if you're a car guy, you know, it might just be a time to make that a career. Uh, you can earn good money fixing cars. All the dealerships are looking for technicians. And a good place to get started is Lanier Technical College. You go through their automotive program. They have up-to-date cars, up-to-date equipment, and you can get a head start on your training. And then when you go to the dealership and apply for a job, you have some, you know, you have some uh, resume building things that are already there, and you can add to them with the dealer training and keep updated on the new cars as they come out. And it's not, it's not difficult to be up in the high numbers, even six figures, as a repair technician on new automobiles and uh, trucks. So check them out at Lanier Technical College, LanierTech.edu. I can't say I approve of this or even think it's actually a good idea. But it's clever. There's a Jeep owner who attends Texas Southern University in Houston. And he doesn't want to pay high prices for a campus parking permit. I guess the permit was two fifty a quarter or a semester or a year. I don't know what it was. But anyway, anyway, he went on the Internet and got an EV plug like you would have on your garage wall to hang your, <laughs> your charging plug on. Now, I've got one on my garage wall, except it's also got a place to hang the cord on, so it's pretty big. But apparently you can buy just the little square part that the plug goes on. And he screwed one of those on the side of his Jeep, and he parked where all the electric vehicles were and plugged in the cord. I, I'm not mad at all. That's clever. I mean, that, that's like we are just talking about NASCAR and the gray areas, and that yeah, is that's... absolutely something. That is a gray area. This guy could become a crew chief. Well, he, he would if he wasn't so stupid as to put it on well, that's, social that, media. Well, that's the thing. Then he that's bragged the about it. You know, he said, look what I did. I plugged this thing in. And, <laughs> you know, I, I, I bet he has to walk to school now. I bet they've got him parked in uh, uphill, Dallas or something. Uh, uphill in the snow both ways. Both ways. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was pretty clever, I thought. Concept 1 pulley systems. You know, I go on and on about the 
the stuff they make, the actual pulley systems themselves and how they fit the car in that. But after you, you know, after, as you're planning this stuff, you can also get remote steering reservoirs from them, standard power steering reservoirs with uh, different, different arrangements of fittings and stuff on them. Uh, if you've got an LS engine that you're swapping into something, they now have a clockable uh, LS thermostat housing so you can clear things on uh, some of the older chassis when you're using a newer engine. And if you're going to start putting a lot of stuff on your car, if you buy a, a wiring system and you're going to start putting amplifiers and different things in your car that you're restoring, check out their, uh, their charts that they have. You can go into their catalog or you can call them and they can tell you what alternators they have, what's available, and how much draw you're going to have on the different things that you're putting in your car and, you know, give you the right stuff for what you're doing. You know, you don't have to buy just one alternator. They've got options for you. And they will even tell you what wiring to use uh, on the alternator and things as you start adding stuff to your car. So check out all the great things and all the great information they have at Concept One Pulley Systems, C1.com. Well, Cody, over the past 50 years, I've been involved with racing as a part-time competitor, full-time fan, student, and teacher, and I've had access to a lot of dedicated, hard-working people, uh, intense people, and many of those same people are humble, benevolent, caring, and just good folks living their dream. And uh, at the top of that list would be our next guest. That'd be Larry McReynolds, America's crew chief. Larry, welcome into Bud's Garage Overdrive, the podcast. No, thank you for having me again. I know we chatted back in Atlanta uh, at the July race weekend down there for the Quaker State 400, and uh, I'm glad we could finally pull it together and, and let me join you guys. Well, I appreciate over the years what you've done for my students. When I used to bring them out to Atlanta Motor Speedway, we'd go out behind the media center, and you'd give them the, you'd give them the straight up on, on what's going on and how glamorous this world of motorsports really is. And, uh, you know, a lot of them are still in the sport, and they're on teams, uh, and they've they've moved on, and you were you were a part of that, and I appreciate that. No, I, I always enjoyed talking to them, and uh, you know I, I know how much I would have appreciated something like that when I was trying to get into the sport. So I was always glad to be able to carve out a little time to do that. Well, one one thing I wanted to ask you: it was a long time ago when you were doing a, a broadcast with uh, Daryl Waltrip, and uh, Daryl doesn't hold back on anything. That's for sure. But I remember him saying that you don't learn about these cars at school. You got to come and sweep the shop and do that and and uh, work your way up through the ranks. Uh, I don't think anybody's got the time for that anymore. You need to get a head start somewhere. No, you, you do. And in, in times have changed. You know, when I first got into the sport, which now hard to believe was 43 years ago, uh, my first year was 1980. It, it was about you just working hard and being committed and dedicated and knocking on doors, getting a lot of doors slammed in your face and just being patient, determined and showing perseverance. I think all of those things still exist today, but I do think it's important to really educate yourself. As we well know, this has become a very engineering driven sport. If you even look at a lot of the crew chiefs in the top series of NASCAR, whether it's Cup, Xfinity, or even the truck series. A lot of them have an engineering driven background, but I still think you have to have the racer side of it in you. Uh, you still have to understand race cars. And you know, people ask me all the time, how in the world do I get into NASCAR? 
And you know what? I'd love to have that perfect answer for him because I know how bad 43 years ago I wanted to get in the sport. But, and there's no blueprint. There's no absolutely give them a piece of paper. Here's the boxes you need to check. But I do think being committed, being dedicated, being focused, being like a sponge and absorbing everything you can about the sport. And then also maybe being willing to lower the bar. You know, that's one thing I do tell young people that come to me, whether it's young men or young women, is think about maybe trying to get your feet wet with a late model team. I know you're maybe not going to make any money, but at least you're building your portfolio. Maybe ARCA, maybe trucks, maybe Xfinity Series. But what I've learned in the sport of NASCAR, if you ever get your foot in the door and you stay after it, you're probably going to stay in and you'll be able to grow in the sport uh, just as I did over the last 43 years. Well, Larry, you were talking about uh, 43 years ago, and as much as we like to talk about current racing, uh, for me personally, I like to go back and uh, relive the history more. So can you tell us how it started for you 43 years ago? My, my journey into NASCAR is a, a pretty interesting story, pretty unique, and I, I'll just give you the treetop version. You know, I was born and raised in, in Birmingham, Alabama, and I did not come from any racing background whatsoever. I was an only child. Uh, my mom and dad could care less about anything to do with, with automobile racing of any kind. But my grandfather, my mom's dad, and my aunt, my mom's sister, they, they were race fans. And, and my aunt was more like a sister to me because she was the baby of the family She's only 10 years older than I am. And every Friday night, uh, the three of us would walk down the hill from my grandparents' house, about a 15 minute walk to the local short track there in Birmingham. And we would watch the local races every Friday night, pretty much from mid-April till early September. And then my aunt got married and her husband was a race fan and uh, the four of us every Friday night, religiously. And my aunt was actually a little bit of a hot rodder. And it was, uh, I was still like a, maybe a sophomore in high school. I want to say it was 1975. They started this brand new division at the local track there, Birmingham International Raceway, called a street stock hobby division. It was a as stock a race car as you could think about building the rules were about one page. You pulled the windows out, the seats out, you put the fuel tank up in the trunk. You put a few roll bars in it per the spec. You could work on the suspension a little bit. You could work on the engine and you put a number on it. Boom, you had a street stock hobby car. Well, this particular night they started this division. My aunt looked at her husband and said, and he was a mechanic. I think I could do that. And he kind of chuckled and said, well, go out and find you some sponsors. We'll build your race car. And I guess being a female in a man's world, she went out and found more sponsors than we could have almost had room on the car to put. <laughs> so my racing career started in the basement of their house. I was maybe about 16, 17 years old, sophomore in high school. And I didn't know a three-quarter inch from a three-quarter inch boat. But... Kind of like I said a while ago, I was a sponge. I learned all I could, and that's where my racing career started. And 
racing is like a disease. <laughs> it, it gets in your bloodstream. And my aunt didn't have a lot of success. I, I, I don't know how talented she was, but I'll always be indebted that that's what got my racing career started. But I started working for uh, a late model racer. The guy that owned the car there in Birmingham was a guy by the name of Bobby Ray Jones. Uh, Richard Orton drove his car, Dave Mater III, Mike Alexander. We won a lot of races, a lot of big races. We won the 1978 Snowball Derby with Dave Mater. Won a lot of big races at Birmingham, at Nashville, Montgomery, Mobile, Pensacola. But I wanted more. You know, I was working in a junkyard. I had graduated from high school. I'd work in that junkyard Monday through Friday, eight to five, would get off work, highball it across to the race shop, maybe go through a drive-through and grab something to eat, work on that race car, 10, 11, 12 o'clock, sometimes all night, just in time enough to go home and shower to get back to the junkyard. And it was just a, it, it was like Groundhog Day every day. So I wanted more, you know, I wanted to get in the NASCAR and uh, I had gotten injured on the junk at the junkyard. This would have been in the summer of 1980. Uh, I walked into a fork on a forklift and busted my head open and um, actually had a little slight concussion. So I had to stay home for a couple of weeks, had stitches in my head and I'd laid around the house. I'd watched every soap opera you could watch. I'd read every magazine you could read. But there was a NASCAR newsletter that had come out. And on the back of it, I was a member of NASCAR because we ran some NASCAR tracks. But on the back side of the newsletter, it came out once a month, there were some classifieds. And it would be maybe somebody trying to buy a race car, somebody trying to sell a race car, somebody trying to buy an engine or sell a trailer. So I was just looking at the classifieds and the very bottom classified I had and this particular newsletter was new NASCAR Winston Cup team starting in Greenville, South Carolina. Looking for mechanics and fabricators. Here's a number to call. Wow. I sat and looked at that ad for about 10 minutes. I went, <laughs> you know what? What have I got to lose? So I called the number. And actually, it was a lady. It was the owner's daughter. Her name was Dana Williamson. The owner was Bob Rogers out of Greenville, South Carolina, and they were going to go full-time cup racing. And she actually knew who I was because we had raced against them at some of the big late model events. And um, so we talked. She took my information. I hung the phone up going, well, I probably was one of about a million people that has called them. That'll be a one-and-done deal. But you know what? I tried. So about two weeks went by. I was back at work, all healed up at the junkyard. Of course, nobody had cell phones back then. I got home from work. I was still living at home with, with my mom. My mom and dad were divorced. And when I got home, my mom said, there was a lady from Greenville, South Carolina called you today. Her number's in there by the phone. I went, what? <laughs> so I called her the next day. And uh, she said that what they'd like for me to do is to come up and work with them for a few months. They were running a few limited cup races at the end of 80 preparing to go full-time at 81 she said we'd like for you to come up and work for us uh, for a few weeks see if we like you see if you like us and we'll go from there 
So I went up there and worked for a few weeks. They came to me and said, you know what? There's no doubt. We want you to go to work for us full time. So I flew home, packed a U-Haul behind my little 71 green Pinto. When I say green, I mean green. Green is a gold. <laughs> my mom and dad looked at me and said, this is the craziest thing we've ever seen anybody do. You'll be back six months. You'll be broke. You'll be hungry. We'll feed you. We're not going to bail you out of debt. As much as I always respected what my mom and dad told me, I said, you guys are probably 100% right, but you know what? I got to go try this. And as mentioned, 43 years later, I'm still here and it's still going. And you know what? You can't buy a Pinto anymore because we've used them all up in mini stocks. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. So, I hear you. All right, so, you, so you, you, you're, you're working for a cup team. Did they go full-time the next year? They did. Uh, and it was kind of an interesting year. The, the owner, Bob Rogers, he was doing it with, with his best friend, which was a local late model racer by the name of Don Sprouse. And uh, we, we qualified for the Daytona 500. Uh, didn't run very well, but we qualified, which was a big deal. But it didn't take long for Bob and Don both to realize Don was way out of his league. He was a local short track racer, and he's going straight to the Cup Series. So about three or four races into the year, and it, I had nothing to do with this because the late model car that I was working on in Birmingham, Mike Alexander was driving it. They hired Mike Alexander to come drive this Cup car. It's like, my gosh, this is as good as it gets. And we ran all the way up through... Uh, I want to say about the Southern 500 with Mike. And we, we had some good runs. We had some solid runs. We qualified well uh, a, a number of times. But I think what Mike was doing, he was trying too hard. He was trying to get more than the car had in it. And that got him in trouble a lot. And about the same time that this was happening, Tim Richmond had parted ways with the team that he was driving for. And Bob and Dana put a deal together for Tim to come run that 37 car about the last eight or nine, 10 races of 81. And we almost won the fall Charlotte race. We had led it for a lot. There was less than 30 laps to go. I think there were three cars on the lead lap. I think it was us, Bobby Allison and Kel Yarbrough. We didn't have to make any more pit stops. And with about... 20 laps to go, that engine let go, and I've never seen an engine blow up that bad. But we almost won that Charlotte race. So, yeah, we ran the full schedule with about three different drivers, though. And what, at what point, what was your comfort level as a, as a young, young guy being around all these legends that, that you've, you know, had read about, seen, and, and all of that type of thing? Uh, what, what was your comfort level, or were you just in, engrossed in the car? I, 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 I was in awe because, one, I was making a living working on race cars. Mm -hmm. I never did that in Birmingham. I, I, never made a, I never got paid a single dime working on my aunt's car or working on that late model car. In fact, there were times I felt like it cost me money through expenses, but it was a passion, and now here I am. When I leave the apartment in the morning, 
I'm not going to a junkyard to make a living and going to work on a race car at night. I'm going to a race shop to work on a race car and I'm getting paid. It, it, it's like a dream come true. But yeah, to be in that garage area with guys that I grew up really marveling at, and I'm not talking about drivers, I'm talking about crew chiefs, chief mechanics, Junior Johnson, Leonard Wood, Jake Elder, Herb Nab, that's Harry Hyde. That's mm-hmm. guys that, that I would watch because that's that's who I that's who I wanted to model myself after someday. And here I now, I'm in that garage area and, and they're working on cars just a little ways down the garage area from me. It was I, I was living in like fantasy world. You know, it was like a dream come true, something I never thought would ever in my wildest dreams ever happen for me. Wow. That's that's amazing. The the following year, Tim Richmond was an amazing guy. The following year, where did that where did that take you? Well, Tim went off and, and went to drive for, for another team and uh I stayed with the thirty seven car and it kind of became a hodgepodge in eighty two. Tom Sneva brought some sponsorship with Simon Ice. He he ran a few races, Donnie Allison which was pretty cool because I knew Donnie. He ran a few races, but I could see the handwriting on the wall that this deal was drying up. And sure enough, we only had three or four full-time employees. We, we ran all the races. When we left the shop to go racing, that shop was dark. There was nobody back there working on the next week's cars. <coughs> Excuse me, but <clears throat> Bob came to us about two weeks before the Coke 600 at Charlotte and said, uh, Charlotte's going to be it. I, I can't do it anymore. And I, I'd really grown close, grew close to the Rogers family. I, I think he had two daughters and I think I was kind of like the son that he never had. And he came to me and he said, look, I know you didn't move to the Carolinas to do anything but work in NASCAR, but I just want you to know, You've got a job as long as you want a job. He had a body shop. He had a rental car rental business. Uh, he had a record service. He said, as long as you want a job, you got a job. Don't you ever worry about that. He said, the only thing, though, no matter what, I want you to stay several weeks after Charlotte and help me get my stuff ready for an auction. I'm going to bring an auction company in. And they need somebody to work with that's familiar with what we've got. I said, absolutely, Bob. So sure enough, I think it was mid-late June. I helped get everything ready. We had a two-day auction. And uh, I pretty much was wondering, what am I going to do? I knew I probably was going to have to move to Charlotte because this was the only team really in Greenville, South Carolina. So it's like, I'll, I'll get through this auction. I'll, I'll figure out where to go from there. Well, lo and behold, Mark Martin and his mom came to the auction. You know, Mark was in his rookie season in 1982, and they came to the auction. And about halfway through the second day of the auction, Mark's mom, Jackie, came to me, and she kind of cornered me around a corner and said, hey, what are you going to do? I said, Jackie, I, I, I don't know. You, you know, I, I promised Bob I, I'd help get him through this auction. 
and then I'm going to go from there. She said, why don't you come see me next week? Their shop was right there in some buildings outside of Turn 1 at Charlotte Motor Speedway. She said, come up and see me. So we got through the auction, and, and sure enough, I told Bob, I said, Bob, if it's okay, I just want to take a week off. Just regroup, gather my thoughts, figure out what's next. He said, you do whatever you need to do. Just know you've got a job. So I drove up there, I don't know, Monday or Tuesday. I met with Jackie. But the biggest thing that took me back is they were wanting to hire me as Mark's crew chief. And I went, Jackie, there. I said, I am blown away. But I said, that doesn't even make sense. You know, I'm, 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 I'm 22 years old. I've barely been in the sport of NASCAR a year and a half. The closest I've ever been to victory lane is walking by and on pit road. That make no sense. She said, don't worry, Larry. Mark is going to make his own calls on his car. He just needs someone to make sure it's executed. We got Herb Nab that come to the shop that works on the car, getting it ready. You're just going to kind of be like a manager, but you will be the crew chief. I said, okay, that's what you guys want. Lo and behold, our first race together was Pocono in July. We went up there and finished 10. But I also knew that as 82 was dwindling away, that that deal was going to drive off. So, and uh, sure enough, about a month before 82 ended, Jackie had told us all, we're going to see it through to the end. That's what we set out to do, but uh, that's going to be it. We don't have any more sponsorships and we can't afford to do this. The thing I was the proudest of, the last race of the year was Riverside, California. And we went out there and to save money, we actually drove to Riverside. We had an off week before Riverside. We drove out there and actually finished fifth in the, in the final race that year. So that took us to 1982. Let's, let's fast forward to the Robert Yates team. Uh, I know that's a big chunk of the book. We'll talk about the book in a little while, but let's, let's go to the, you know, going from the, tell us about working with the Robert Yates team, and then we're going we're gonna to move on from there. Well, you know, 1986 to 1990, I was with Kenny Bernstein. Right, yes. Yeah. Yeah. With Keith Racing, mm-hmm. the Quaker State car. Uh, I'd been the crew chief since the day we started that deal in 1986. You know, Rutman drove it in 86. Morgan Shepard drove it in 87. Ricky Rudd drove it in 88 and 89. And we actually won Watkins Glen. That was my first win as a cup crew chief in 88. And then we won the first race in Sonoma in 1989. Ricky left us. Brett Bodine started driving in 1990. And lo and behold, we won North Wilkesboro in 1990. The whole time I was with the 26 car and Kenny Bernstein, the owner, and, you know, different drivers, you know, we, we were winning one race a year, but I just, just felt like we were never going to be able to put all the components in place to be able to go out and win multiple races and maybe even contend for a championship. And in late 1989, uh, Robert Yates and Davey Allison started courting me. And a lot of people connected Davey and I because of both being from the Birmingham, Alabama area, had nothing to do with it. I never really knew Davey uh, because about the time he started racing locally in Birmingham, I'd already moved on to the Carolinas. I knew Donnie, I knew Bobby, but I really didn't know Davey. But but it seems like throughout 1989, 
the 26 and the 28 car were parked side by side in the garage area. They kind of parked you by points and just seemed like we were always kind of right there together. And Davey and I would talk a lot in the garage area. And we actually became pretty good friends, you know, and I hadn't even, it hadn't been really even talked about me going to work there. Uh, it seems like we had a lot in common. Our wives were friends. At that point, we both had two young kids. Linda and I ended up having a third later on. We would leave the racetrack on Saturday. We would we were all very devoted Catholics. We'd go to mass together on Saturday night. We'd go out and have dinner together, but it was just a friendship. But late 89, Robert and Davey started courting me about going to work with, uh, with the 28, becoming the crew chief. And I knew Rudd was leaving. I wasn't sure at that point what we were gonna do with the 26 car. And so I met with Robert in Phoenix, the next to the last race of the year. And I'm a little bit ashamed to say I shook his hand and, and actually took the job. But we had one more race to run at Atlanta and uh, I got cold feet. And it wasn't that I was scared to go to work for Robert. I just, I built this 26 car Kenny Bernstein had taken a big chance on me with a, a major sponsor, a major manufacturer, and, and made me the crew chief. And I never had even won a race, but he took a chance on me, and I just felt very uh, devoted to him and uh, loyal to him. So I called Robert about two weeks later, and I said, Robert, I, I know when you shake a man's hand, that makes a statement. But I said, I, I can't leave the 26 car. And I told him why. And he was upset, but I think he truly understood. So we go through 1990. We win that race at Wilkesboro Brett, but I was still starting to still feeling the same way. We just, we're never gonna get this deal where it needs to be to be a championship contender. And so we started 91 off. The 28 got off to a rocky start. We got off to a rocky start. It was after the Atlanta race. Robert called me and said, Larry, I, I know where you're at. I remember the conversation, but he said, Jake L was our crew chief. He said, I'm gonna make a crew chief change in the morning. And wanted to give you one more shot to see if you were interested. I said, Robert, when and where do you wanna meet? And we met at a Waffle House on Sunset Boulevard, I-77 north of Charlotte, sat there at 4.30 in the morning, and I took the job with Robert Yates Racing. And there's no doubt, as hard as it was to do to leave Kenny, it was a career changer for me. It, it was what put me on the map because I think I'm what Davey and Robert Yates Racing needed, but there is no doubt Robert Yates Racing in that 28 car is what I needed uh, as a crew chief. So, Bill, we're going to stop it there and get Larry in next week. And Cody and I are going to talk some more with Mr. Larry McReynolds, America's crew chief. You good with that? I'm good with that, too. All right. Year one, the classic muscle car restoration parts, folks. Only folks I use to get parts for the muscle cars that I build here in the Bud's garage when we have time in between uh, recording and doing all the other stuff we do. Uh, I suggest that you go to year1.com and get on their mailing list because midweek you will get some great specials each and every week that they post. 
and uh, you can save some big money by doing that. So check them out at yearone.com. Well, Cody, I want to take the time to thank you for sitting in on the podcast today and, uh, you know, doing all the things we did. Absolutely. Especially getting to talk to America's crew chief. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. I really appreciate uh, having me on again. I uh, always enjoy talking to you and, and being here uh, on the show in the studio. And uh, it was a great time to listen to Larry. And one thing, uh, you know, one thing that I really have to commend him on, uh, you know, I believe me and you both just got done reading his first book um, that was written over 20 years ago. But when he's, when he's talking to us here uh, on the show, it's like... It's like he's reading his book to you. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's just uh, so much is, um, especially when you read the book, it's just, you can hear him reading the stories and then to have him uh, literally telling us the stories right in front of us, um, that that's pretty cool. I think it's amazing because the, those weren't, they didn't happen yesterday. No. And, it's and been a while. <laughs> his mind is just sharp as a tack. Abs- absolutely. Cody, you've been doing NASCAR history articles online tell us about your newest one real quick real quick uh my most recent article i wrote for my website peachstatespeed.com uh talks about the relation of the first major u.s gold rush and the first nascar championship and how they are both related to the same family did you know that i did not know that now you do huh well we want to thank lanier technical college um concept one pulley systems and year one, muscle car restoration experts keep American performance going. DJ Bill, DJ, give us a quick rundown on your DJing. Thank you, bud. I am a writer and program coordinator for DJ Trivia. We are a nationwide restaurant trivia game that is family-friendly, free to play. And you will find a venue near you by typing your zip code in at djtrivia.com. Hope to see you at a game soon. Yeah, and we want to thank Jacobs Media for the... Uh, for the studios and the quality of sound and any, anybody else you want to thank or anything you want to say, Cody, are we good? Thank you, bud. You're pretty good. <laughs> well, you're, you're quite welcome. And, yeah, and, well, soon. And thank you. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Now, if you want to listen to us on terrestrial radio, you can go to uh, WDUN AM 550 and FM 102.9. Uh, you can catch Bud's Garage on a Saturday afternoon through Access WDUN, which is a free app. And you can listen to any of the shows we've done for the whole year. Of course, you can catch Bud's Garage also on any of the podcast sites and uh, Bud's Garage Overdrive. So it all works out to be a neat little package. All right, remember to keep between the ditches, shiny side up, and we will have part two of Larry McReynolds next week on the podcast here. Bud's Garage Overdrive, thanks for taking the time to listen to us. <laughs>